0: This episode of That Time of the Month is brought to you by Essential Goodness, a local indie bath and body company in Nashville, Tennessee. Visit their store on Etsy, My Essential Goodness, and get 20% off by using the code TTOTM. All of their products are 100% made with natural ingredients and fragrance only with essential oils. Feeling blue, what do you do? We got stories to see you through That time of the month, that time of the month It's that time of the month, and I'm your host and producer, Melanie Vare. This is my first podcast back since having my little girl on October 18th. It's amazing. Um, my labor lasted 55 hours But you will hear more about that on our January podcast. Probably more than you wanted to know. Uh, She's sleeping right now in the other room, so I actually better whisper. And I better make this quick. First, though, I want to thank my buddy and co-producer, Christopher Pilney, for hosting last month's show. Especially since it was the Best of Melanie show. And that would be super awkward to host myself. I thought he did a fantastic job. He's such a natural... I hope you enjoyed my stories, too, or are at least willing to listen again this month because this one features the best of Chris, Christopher Pilney. It's kind of a funny story how Chris and I met. I had recently moved to Nashville from Los Angeles when I started the live that time of the month show, and I had no idea that the title of the show would be considered controversial in the South, or somewhat, anyways. Uh, The feedback that I got was that it was a tad unrefined for the South. But luckily, that didn't stop Chris from making his way to us. However, that wasn't until the second month. The first month, I couldn't find a guy to do the show. So we had uh, six women. I thought maybe Nashville just didn't have any male writers. But after seeing the terrified look on some of the guys' faces who attended that first show, I realized the men were scared to death because they thought all we were going to do was talk about our period so so for the second show I had to get more aggressive so I put up signs saying that we were looking for stories for our honorary male slot (laughs) instead of token man, honorary man and I placed these um, flyers in uh, kind of the edgy coffee shops where I thought there would be younger skewing more liberated men And that's when I found Chris. Uh, Chris had also been looking for an outlet for a collection of stories he was starting to put together about his time at Victoria's Secret, or VS as he calls it. Uh, Chris was our first open man and has gotten more and more involved with the show. Uh, He he was, of course, also co-host on the original version of the podcast. He was the one with the very deep voice... (laughs) Speaking of that, um, when Chris first submitted his story, he not only sent me a written version, but also an audio version, an mb3 of him reading it. Uh, I was very taken aback by his super low voice, and I just had this vision of like this big, burly Italian opera singer, like Pavarotti. So when this tall, thin, blonde-haired, preppy, Ralph Lauren-wearing kid showed up, Chris is, um, I think, 26 or 27. I was totally confused. Um, And Chris says I'm not a very good internet stalker because there are zillions of pictures of him on Facebook. Um, Okay, I'm kind of ashamed to admit my husband says I'm a bit of a narcissist when it comes to social media because I only post my own stuff and then check back in to see how many likes I get. Uh, But Chris isn't much better. He once told me. He resents people who get lots of likes for simply posting photos of their kids, (laughs) which I do nonstop now. Chris says he can't stand when he posts uh, something that took him hours to come up with and gets less likes than a picture of a kid or, or an engagement ring. Luckily for Chris, though the right people have recognized his genius, this first story we're about to listen to was a story Chris wrote for the show, and the first he wrote about Victoria's Secret, um, which afterwards Chris got published on Salon.com, and it caught the attention of a legitimate talent agent. Chris is now writing a full-length book about his time at Victoria's Secret. This debut story is titled Memoirs of a Panty Slinger, Rebel Without a Bra. Let's listen now.
1: Several years ago, I took a job working as a cashier at Victoria's Secret. The long story as to why and how a straight man with plans to attend dental school did this would take far more than 1,500 words to tell, so I'll leave you with the abridged version. I ended up at Victoria's Secret the same way most men end up on daytime talk shows. I got dumped. I couldn't get a new girlfriend to save my life. I was getting hit on by gay men everywhere I went. And to top it all off, I began growing breasts. I now believe my boobs are the result of eating too much soy, which has a high amount of estrogen in it and has been known to cause such reactions in (laughs) prepubescent girls. But I didn't realize this at the time because I was simply uh, too busy freaking the fuck out. (laughs) It's one thing as a man to feel like you don't understand women. It's another to feel like you're becoming one. (laughs) Desperate to regain my swagger, I decided I needed to study girls to go somewhere I could immerse myself in them. The first place that came to mind was a brothel, The only problem was, where was I going to find a brothel in Nashville? With a semester of college still to go, I wasn't about to leave town for Vegas either. So, with temporary, purely educational prostitution out of the question, as well as the very real possibility I might need a bra, I applied to Victoria's Secret. What ensued was one of the most entertaining and odd years of my life. From having women regale me about their recent hysterectomies to having one of my managers show me her new nipple piercings, I never knew what the hell to expect when I walked into that store. The customers were my primary interest. I figured if I learned anything about women, it was going to come from watching and interacting with them. I was also curious to see how they'd react to a grown man bagging their thongs. I assumed they would think I was one of three things, a homosexual, a pervert, or perverted homosexual. (laughs) Whichever they felt was most apt for the moment. It came as a surprise then that most female customers were not only receptive to my help but also my opinion. They wanted to know what a straight man thought about things. Lingerie, perfume, panties. The question I was constantly getting was, which do you like best? Which was followed by my time-worn response, well, which would look best on the floor? Because really, that's where it was going to end up anyways. I was also surprised by how forward women were. One customer came to the counter to exchange a bra for a bigger size due to the fact that she'd gotten, and I quote, new boobies. (laughs) Well, before the surgery, she said, looking down and pushing them together, I was about a 34A, but now, thanks to this guy over on Wedgwood, I'm a solid 34C. Aren't they just great? It was like watching a mother hold her baby for the first time, mixed with a six-year-old girl getting a pony for her birthday. (laughs) I've never seen a person look upon anything with such pride before. She was overjoyed, and had the doctor not advised her to avoid any activities that required jumping, slip and slides, or extreme gravitational forces, she probably would have skipped out of the store. This was how excited she was. Another woman told me she couldn't wear any of our panties because they all, one way or another, got stuck in her butt. That was her exact phrasing, stuck in her butt. I like to think that had my life been some sort of ongoing musical, and not the banal sequence of pointless events that it actually is, this would have been the moment which I, the heroic loser, would have broken out into a parody version of Usher's love in this club. (laughs) These panties get stuck in her butt, in her butt, in her butt, in her... But instead, I just apologized and handed her the receipt. I really hate singing that part. That's horror. (laughs) The customers taught me how to assert myself with women, but it was my coworkers who taught me the most important lesson about their sex. (gasps) Girls talk, and when they talk, they talk in explicit detail. I was folding panties one evening when I overheard two of the girls discussing a recent hookup one of them had had. He had this vein, one of them said, (laughs) that wrapped around his dick like, uh, uh... "'A blue vine?' said the other girl. "'No, no. Oh, 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 what's the word? "'A string of blue Christmas lights?' "'No,' she said. "'No, no, no. It's a kind of staircase.' "'A spiral staircase?' I said. "'Yes, thank you. A spiral staircase. That's it.' "'He had a vine that wrapped around his penis like a spiral staircase.' "'Oh,' said the other girl. "'And I swear, I don't know if it was the veins doing or not.' but I have never come so hard in my life. If it was possible for humans like snakes to dislocate their jaws and lay them on the floor, this is precisely what I would have done. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. As a man, you naively assume that every interaction you have with a woman is going to remain in a vacuum. Sure, they might give their friends the outline version of the experience. Roman numeral one, we had dinner. Letter A, I had fish. Roman numeral two... We watched a movie at his place, but never would it expand to lowercase roman numerals and lowercase letters. That would just be indecent. I only assume this because that's how men communicate, in swaths, and I'm not sure why I even still believe this at the time. I had inside information for years that women, when left alone, get down to the nitty-gritty. An ex-girlfriend, for example, once told me, after coming home from a sex toy party, but the dominant topic of conversation had been uncircumcised penises. What did they look like? <laughs> Apparently, most had never seen one, most of them, that is, except one girl who had ridley dated a guy with a foreskin. <laughs> the description she gave and was later relayed to me reminded me of a great poem title, right up there with T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock and Robert Frost's Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. <laughs> to her, an uncircumcised penis looked not like an earthworm, but a pink anteater in a turtleneck sweater. <laughs> still love that are there any poets in the room who could write that for me i'd love to know i actually had someone draw a picture of that he he was like i want to draw some art give me some of your essays and let me let me write something he drew me a picture of a pink ant eater in a turtleneck sweater it's pretty good working at victoria's secret didn't necessarily make me better with women it simply brought my image of them into a more realistic and startling focus They were no longer the cult of true womanhood. They didn't sit around sipping tea and speaking in hushed tones about community fundraisers (laughs) or the best way to knit a sock. They were what I came to call the female tribe, a highly sophisticated group of skilled communicators who love nothing more than knowing everything they can about another person all the way down to the veins. It's a humbling realization as a man, and exactly the reason why, when I wrote a letter to an ex-girlfriend confessing that I still loved her, I prefaced it by saying, This is perhaps the most embarrassing thing I've ever done, not because of what I'm about to say or how I feel, but because I know, after spending a year selling thongs at Victoria's Secret, that nothing told to a woman is told in confidence. There is a 100% chance that the contents of this letter will be divulged to any number of people, male or female, and that they will largely be scoffed at and or laughed at. I'm fully aware of this, yet I'll say them anyways, as the burden of silence has come to far outweigh the fear of ridicule. Her response was short and to the point. She said nothing, then got engaged. No, no. I'd gone into the job hoping to learn about women, as well as regain my confidence to things I can comfortably say I succeeded in doing. There is no medicine in the world for a man distraught, like being around 20 girls and hearing on a daily basis that your butt looks good in the pants you're wearing. I was back to my old self in two months and dating again in three. The boobs disappeared too, thank God. Yet, the gay men haven't. They still hit on me at bars or when I'm working, but it doesn't really bother me anymore. After talking to random women about their breasts for a year and not having to worry about hearing, uh, my eyes are up here. I realize there's something to be said for being a perceived homosexual. I've supported it ever since.
0: Thanks, guys. I have never been able to look at a spiral staircase the same since. And now, neither will you. I love that Chris thought that women talked in hushed tones, and also that the best place to learn about women was Victoria's Secret. I'd say a better place to learn about women would be like yogurt land or like selling the Vitamix door to door or something. Uh, anyway, after that first story, no one thought Chris could top top that. But in his second story, comparing apples to oranges, Chris learns that he knows even less about women's undergarments than he even thought. <laughs>
1: Its selling bras is a lot like pulling teeth I can say this, I've done both And each has a distinct ability to leave a man feeling completely helpless <laughs> Pulling teeth when you're in Haiti on a medical mission trip And trying to remove an adult male wisdom tooth With only the most rudimentary of tools And selling bras when you're a grown man And you take a job working at Victoria's Secret <laughs> Because you think it'd be a fun challenge to sell bras to women This is where I was in April of 2010, a grown man who'd survived a full slate of med school prerequisites, pulled teeth in Haiti, and now sold bras for a living. I was on top of the world, no longer worrying about taking the MCAT or writing my mission statement. All I had to do now was learn a couple of bras, and how hard could that be? This was bras we were talking about, not eight years of residency I was planning on to become a plastic surgeon. I came to realize just how naive this assumption was two hours into my first day on the job. I was ringing up a customer when she noticed she grabbed the wrong size and turned around to go and correct her error. Oh, don't worry about it, I said. Let me just call one of the girls on the floor, they'll grab it for you. This is what we were trained to do, and it's a nice gesture until you realize you have no freaking clue what you're looking at. It could be a very sexy push-up, it could be a naked STEMI, it could be a cotton's full coverage, or it could simply be a double pouch water balloon launcher. Because, here's the rub, when you don't listen to country music, anything with steel guitar and banjo sounds like country music. When you don't have a discerning palate, anything with pasta and marinara sauce tastes like Italian food. And when you don't have breasts, anything with two cups and some straps looks like a bra.
2: It was clear I needed
1: help. Recognizing the I'm drowning over here tone of my voice, the store manager saw to it that I received schooling in the matter. What resulted was a string of lectures I came to call the tutorials. (laughs) My first is with a girl called Chattahoochee, who is in the (laughs) background. Due to our co-obsession with the country music hit, made famous by Alan Jackson. She started me slow, first picking up a bra without padding, having me squeeze it, then picking up a bra with padding, and having me squeeze it. See, she said, this is a bra without padding, and this is a bra with padding. Feel the difference? I nodded, squeezing what the FAA would approve as a personal flotation device in the event of a My second tutorial was with a girl called the Ginger Guido, because of her red hair and unhealthy obsession with the Jersey Shore. Seeing as I now understood the difference between a push-up and non-push-up bra, she gave me a more in-depth lesson, walking me through each room, carefully explaining the bra collections within it and how to tell it apart. It was during this that I started to feel more comfortable feeling like a complete idiot. No matter what sex you are, male, female, or share, selling bras at Victoria's Secret is really fucking hard. The Body by Victoria collection, for example, has eight different bras. There's the full coverage, the unlined full coverage, the demi, the racerback demi, the push-up, the supermodel push-up, the multi-way, and the wireless. Which sounds like something that might come with a data plan. Multiply this by the fact that there are 13 other bra collections in the store, and the only thing that keeps you from having a complete meltdown is the reassurance that each bra has what it is and the size labeled on the band. If all else fails, it's theirs, the ginger grito said. Which I reassured her, all else would absolutely fail. In the last remaining minutes of the lecture, she took it upon herself to explain swell to me. Swell is the word that Victoria's Secret uses to describe the amount of cleavage a push-up bra produces. All in all, there are five levels. The first being subtle, the second being moderate, the third being dramatic, the fourth being extreme, and the fifth being ultimate. This was where she lost me. While the first four made sense, I could see describing someone's cleavage as subtle or moderate, dramatic was a little odd, but okay, and extreme just sounded fun. I found ultimate to be somewhat baffling. It's not that ultimate wasn't a suitable word choice to describe cleavage spilling out of a top, it's just that it followed extreme, a word that, in order of magnitude, is usually only followed by death. Extreme sports, for example, bungee jumping, skydiving, shark diving, all of these have one thing in common, If it weren't for one item, a rope, a parachute, or a stainless steel cage, you would die doing them. Which is why the fifth level of swell should not be called ultimate, but simply death. Death by cleavage. I told the ginger guido this, and she laughed. Not genuinely, but the way you have to when someone has overanalyzed the shit out of something. I think they're a little strange. While well, the tutorials helped in my quest for broad knowledge, I've never been much of an audible learner. I'm more of a hands-on kind of guy, which can be somewhat tricky when you're dealing with breasts in a professional setting. As a result, it took me about five months to really feel confident, both selling and differentiating the bras in the store. I had a lot of things drilled into my head in that time. The first and foremost being that knowing size was everything. Most women think they know their bra size. They were measured when they were 16 years old, and nothing has changed since that point. These women, I was told, are sort of mistaken. Therefore, it was also a bra salesperson's job to ask each and every customer if they wanted to be measured. If they did, and you had a vagina, it was all yours. If, like me, however, you had a penis, and the customer had specifically requested your services, you we were required to pass them off to someone who didn't have a penis. I'm sad to say that in my year of working at Victoria's Secret, I never did get the chance to measure someone. At least, not in the traditional method. Because most women didn't want my help finding a bra, I mainly stuck to helping men, which I found to be relatively easy. Once you get them to focus, they generally have a clear notion of what they want to see their wives and girlfriends wearing. The only problem came with sizing. If women were often naively mistaken about their bra size, men were proudly ignorant. They either treated breasts like a trophy bass, exaggerating both their size and weight, or they blinked once before saying they had no clue. It was somewhat embarrassing to watch, but I can't really judge. For years, bra size was a mystery to me. Yeah, I knew the sizes, 34A, 36B, 36DD, and I knew that the bigger the letters got, the better, but I had no idea what they signified. Was 34 the weight in ounces? Did the letters perhaps signify the amount of water a breast displaced put in the pool? Or were they both just some kind of a visual estimation based upon the amount of shadow they cast on the wall when a woman walked in front of a lamp? I really had no idea. It turned out to be much simpler than I thought. The number indicated band size, or how many inches around a woman was, while the letter indicated cup size. No, I didn't know how to measure either of these, but it was okay, as I was probably never going to have to do that. That's what the girls were for. They did the measuring. (laughs) Knowing what broad size meant, however, still didn't help me with my clothes male customers. I was about to throw in my towel on my career when the missing key to my success was finally discovered. Out of all the things the girls had taught me about bras, they had failed to mention the most important, the method for sizing, when a size wasn't known. Wait, said one of the girls, no one's taught you the fruit method yet? The what? The fruit method. No, I don't. I don't think so. She put her hands on her hips. Well, that's why you're having so much trouble. The fruit method is what we use when we have men who don't know their girlfriend's bra size. It's simple. You ask them to compare their girlfriend's boobs to either a lemon, an apple, an orange, or a grapefruit. And from that, you can get a rough estimate of their size. You're kidding, right? <laughs> now, she says, shaking her head, a lemon is a 34A, an apple is a 34B, an orange is a 34C, and a grapefruit is a 36C slash 34D. I stared at her in complete awe. <laughs> As a learning device, the fruit method was essentially perfect, playing both to men's innate visual and tactile abilities. <laughs> Combine this with something we can eat, and it makes for a method that we don't really understand, but we'll employ the rest of our lives. I knew what I was doing now, and I was finally ready to put some chips and some cups. <laughs> Fortunately, opportunity came knocking rather quickly, the next day to be exact. I was on the floor, putting some bras away, when I found a guy staring at a French maid outfit. I asked him if he needed help finding anything, and much to my surprise, he said he did. I'm looking for some panties you can untie, he said. You know, kind of like a bikini bottom, but a panty. I told him we didn't have anything like that, but we did have some great see-through lingerie. He agreed that would do just fine. <laughs> okay, so do you know our size, I asked. Um, He said, scratching his head. I think she's a small... No, 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 I said. I meant, do you know her bra size? He looked at me, then turned away slightly, raising both hands in front of him, palms facing out, before cupping them and making a squeezing motion. Mmm, <laughs> about this big, he said. It took everything I had not to laugh. He was being completely serious. Okay, okay, I so said. Let's do this a little differently. If you were to compare your girlfriend's breasts to a fruit, what would they be? A lemon, an apple, an orange, or a grapefruit? He paused, thinking, an orange, he said. She's probably an orange. I told him this meant she was about a 34C, and he raised his eyebrows, looking at me as if I was some kind of jaw-dropping circus act. You're good, he said, you're good. I thanked him, not wanting to make a big deal out of it. It was the best compliment I'd ever received. I didn't really help that many more people in my remaining six months as a bra salesman. I'm not sure why, but once I finally learned how to do it, selling bras bored me. I guess it was a challenge I'd been attracted to. A pattern that occurs again and again in my life. I find something I shouldn't be able to do. I do it, then move on. It's how I ended up going into the music business, then into medicine, and finally into bra sales. You come to regret these kinds of decisions. Had I stuck with medicine or music, I could be engineering the next big country record right now, or sewing a vagina in half in a cadaver lab. But instead, I work retail and write essays for coffee shop storytelling shows. It's not a bad existence, no, it's just not the one I ever imagined for myself. The one where I date Blake Lively and spend my weekend's thong spotting with Cisco. <laughs> Yet yeah, maybe all is not lost. As I sit in bars, drinking with my friends, and conversing with strange women, I'm reminded that you never know where the knowledge you have is going to come in handy. Correctly guessed three out of four women's bra sizes last night, I wrote in my journal a few weeks few months ago. I guess if nothing else works out for me, I at least have a bright future in the carnival business. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, doesn't seem like a bad way to make a living. But who am I kidding? Increasing a woman's bra size by personally putting implants in her chest, or simply looking at her and guessing it at the county fair? That's like comparing apples to oranges. <laughs>
0: Well, after hearing that story again, I'm feeling a little awkward that I sent my father-in-law a fruit basket for the holidays. Uh, Moving on, this next story, uh, Chris is a little overexcited when he is invited to his Victoria's Secret co-worker's bachelorette party. And he signs up to make a cake to bring a giant penis cake. This one is titled, Betty Cocker.
1: It's difficult to make a penis cake without following each of your sentences with no pun intended. Saying it's hard isn't made any better when you attempt to clarify with it's hard to do that is. Even I had to watch a lot of videos to make sure I did it right comes out wrong when you're explaining how you got the frosting to shoot out the tip so realistically. This all occurred to me as I was gently forming the balls on a chocolate penis cake I was making for a co-worker's lingerie shower. I'd been working at Victoria's Secret at the time. One of three men in the store, the the invitation had come as a requirement, the product of a previous party in which several co-workers had been left out and reported their displeasure to human resources. I was overjoyed. Requiring that I be invited to a lingerie shower was like requiring that a fat person be invited to Krispy Kreme. Before my coworker, who I'll call Pear, could even finish her sentence, I cut her off. So Christopher, are you... I'll be there with a the chocolate penis. <laughs> the idea for the cake actually came a bit later. About a week after I was invited, one of the girls planning the event posted a list in the break room for people to write down what they were bringing. One girl had written wine, another had written wine, a third had written wine, and finally, thank God, a fourth had written wine. While I enjoy a good bottle of red as much as the next person, this was a resounding problem. Not only was there no food to pair with the wine, but there was a disconcerting lack of phallic-shaped objects. <laughs> from what I'd heard, penises were what these things were all about. Penis-shaped ice cubes flow in a concoction housed in a penis-shaped cup, which you so delicately sip from a penis-shaped straw. When, bete- when between drinks you bite into a penis-shaped cookie while blowing up a penis-shaped balloon, and discussing the great yoga pant selection they have at a sporting goods store called Dick's. <laughs> it was for this reason, as one of the three penises in the store, my response to to milk make sure we were well represented. So I wrote my name on the sheet, and because I'm one of the most mature people in the world, and she was marrying a black guy, I wrote, chocolate penis cake next to it. <laughs> the chatter was almost instantaneous. Did you see what Chris wrote on the sheet? Oh, God, look what Chris wrote on the sheet. Apparently, Christopher is bringing a brown penis cake to my party. The latter came from Pear, which I found to be somewhat offensive because brown is the word uh, Indian people most often use to describe themselves, and she was most certainly not marrying an Indian guy. I think you mean African-American penis cake, I said. Or if he prefers Afro-Caribbean penis cake. She rolled her eyes. Or just a money Kravitz penis cake if he's somehow half Jewish. <laughs> I became I, I began my quest towards phallic confectionery wizardry wizardry. Oh wow, that's hard to say. At the Hustler store, when I was told they would have a wide selection of penis cake pans, <laughs> wandering through the dildos, a sales associate came over and asked if I needed help finding anything. I told him I was look, I told him what I was looking for, and he led me to a small area beside the erotic clothing section. Looks like, uh, yep, we're out of them," he said, scratching his arm. You've got to be kidding me. No, he said, it's wedding season. This happens every year. (laughs) I thanked him, and he walked away. Uh, And as he walked away, I I had to look for myself, just in case he missed an errant place pan. Sure enough, though, he was right. They had penis cookie cutters, penis ice cube trays, penis cupcake pans, cup cocks, they were called, and even a booby cake mold but nowhere was there a phallus to be seen. Slightly defeated, I went home and jumped on Google, knowing that I'd surely find something online. I typed in penis cake pans, and within half a second, I had three promising options to choose from. The first was a disposable penis-shaped cake pan. It was not only reasonably priced, but it provided a bit more discretion than a non-disposable pan. (laughs) Once you are done creating your penis cake masterpiece, the description read, just stuff these disposable pans deep in your trash basket under the egg cartons and banana peels. No one has to know about your wild bachelorette party. Good point, I thought, imagining my mother finding it in my cupboard. (laughs) The second was the erotic penis cake pan. This This is not the biggest cake pan that we have, but it is fairly large, the description read. The penis shape is about 10 inches long and about 6 inches wide at the balls. The pan is non-tarnishing and dishwasher safe. You can use this versatile pan for gelatins, cakes, cookies, or even as a serving dish. (laughs) My interest had been piqued. I imagined welcoming guests to a house party and informing them that coats were in the guest room, drinks were in the fridge, and, if they were hungry, chips were in an aluminum dick sitting on the coffee table. (laughs) So much for disposable, I said, crossing it off the list. The battle was now between the erotic penis cake pan and another product, one which the manufacturer simply called the Big Boy. <laughs> Measuring in at 12 and a half inches long, 10 inches wide, and 3 inches deep, the Big Boy was touted as the largest penis cake pan on the market. And as I read the description, it struck me as having been written by the late Billy Mays. Hey, you, it barked, are you looking to make a really large penis cake? I'm down with that. Everyone likes a penis cake. Penis lovers want to eat it, and penis haters want to cut it. That's good, soft. That's good. It was, again, the last part that got my attention. Aside from the overall girth, the thought of angering at least one feminist put the big boy head and shoulders over the rest. I whipped out my debit card and was about to purchase it when I noticed that, with express shipping, which I needed because the party was less than a week away, the bill would exceed $60. This was a little steep for my budget at the time, and even when I tried it with the other options, it still exceeded my price range. What to do now? Aside from pans, my Google search turned up several how-to videos on YouTube. These were professional cake makers showing the world how to construct a lifelike penis cake from scratch and without a mold. My favorite was a three-part, 28-minute tutorial by a woman named Brandy, who assured her viewers that she'd simplified the process so that the amateur-slash-home decorator would achieve the same results. I tried to use as few tools as possible, she said, to which I responded, no pun intended. (laughs) Her process truly was simplified. Take two sheet cakes... Put one on top of the other, adhere them together with frosting, then cut them into the shape of a shaft, make a third sheet cake and cut four circles out of it, then use these to form the rough shape of the testicles. Use a few of the leftover pieces to form the tip of the penis, then cover the whole thing in frosting. Add gelatin for desired pubic hair effect. (laughs) Simple enough, I thought. I can definitely do this. No pun intended. My confidence going to the kitchen was high, still soaring from a few months earlier when I'd successfully made a giant shake weight costume to wear to a friend's Halloween party. People had told me it couldn't be done. How the hell are you going to make a shake weight? But with a giant, giant paper roll, some gray spare paint, a roll of duct tape, and a good deal of determination, I'd succeeded. How hard could a penis cake be? It was also the shape I was working with. Artists will tell you that the most difficult part of the human body to draw is the hands. I don't exactly remember why, but it has something to do with the structure and the wrinkles and the veins. The penis is a different story, however. Spend a day in an all-boys Catholic high school, and you'll find them drawn on almost every surface possible. (laughs) Spend a day in an all-girls Catholic high school, and you'll easily do the same. Sex doesn't matter, nor does the quantity of useful limbs you possess. You could be a quadriplegic, and still, with a pencil clamp between your teeth, draw the most anatomically correct penis the world has seen since Da Vinci. (laughs) It is, as I've come to recognize, the stick figure of the anatomical <laughs> drawing world. The problem was I underestimated how difficult it is to bake. Having been able to cook my own dinner for three years at that point, I figured it would be as easy as that. Buy some ingredients, heat them up, and enjoy. But baking is a more refined culinary art, requiring both finesse and patience, two things I greatly, greatly lack. The sheet cakes came out okay, but when I tried to adhere them together with frosting, I failed to take into account how hot they were. The frosting melted and the balls toppled over. (laughs) My tip looked like a botched circumcision. And even when I tried to cover it up while with frosting, the cake was still too warm and fell to pieces. I was to say dismayed. With an hour to go before the party, I had no other option but to go to the store, buy 24 cupcakes, and arrange them into the shape of what looked like a rocket ship penis. (laughs) What the hell is that? Pear asked as I walked into the party. What do you think it is? I said. It's a cupcock. She smiled, A cupcock? I wanted a chocolate penis cake. Where's my chocolate penis cake? Okay, I said, You have no idea what I just went through or the pain I experience. To which she responded, No pun intended. Thank you.
0: Only Chris would have some drunk guy in the audience at a storytelling show yelling, go, go, go. Anyway, in Chris's fourth and final story today, he makes sort of a 180 when it comes to women's, shall we say, intimates. He becomes something of a snob or a connoisseur. This last one is titled, Here Comes Peter Cottontail." Oh, and quick disclaimer, unfortunately the audio is not as good as the others on this one.
2: Yeah,
1: stop laughing as he was starting. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> as a dentist, my mother has a tendency to see the world in terms of teeth. The model in the fashion magazine, the anchor on the local news, the butcher at the grocery store. Each of these loses any form of distinguishing characteristic upon opening their mouths. (laughs) Wow, would you look at the teeth on that guy, she'll say, watching Brian Williams elaborate on a new bill in Congress. The news doesn't matter, nor does what he's wearing. A nuclear device could go off in Manhattan, and he abhorred the nation wearing only a cowboy hat and nipple clamps. She would have said the exact same thing. (laughs) Whoever did his veneers did a really great job. I guess I can't really blame her though. After spending 25 years looking into people's mouths, what else is she going to notice about them? It's the same way I assume garbage men see the world in terms of trash, or proctologists see the world in terms of assholes. That subtle yet trying side effect of dedicating your life to a single career. What made this difficult growing up, however, was that as a family, we tended to watch a lot of television programs with British people in them. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: We're not talking about the Hugh Grant or Colin Firth kind of British people either. These were the non Hollywood types, the world's leading scholars on Elizabethan England and 18th century ballistics. whose Teeth reinforced the theory that Stonehenge is not the ancient Druid burial ground we all know and love, but in fact the leading text in British orthodoxy. at these people the same way a feminist might look at Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Turning away and wincing. His teeth are terrible. Oh my God! Oh, I can't even look at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that she was disgusted so much. It's more that she was offended. Like a, like a Republican, when you tell them you're not going to vote. <laughs> What do you mean you're not going to exercise your right to braces, I imagined her saying. (laughs) And then she whip out a copy of the Declaration of Independence and point out the line that clearly states our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of orthodontia. (laughs) I think the thing that baffles me most about her dental fixation is the question of when. When did she go from seeing scholars for what they know to seeing them for what they obviously don't know about the advances in modern dentistry? (laughs) While it's hard to imagine her any other way, it's even hard to believe there was a distinct moment when that change occurred. That kind of thing only happens in movies or books, where characters move from innocence to knowledge with the ease it takes to walk from the living room to the kitchen. As God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again, they say, brandishing their fists on top of a hill. If I have to lie, steal, cheat, or kill, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. It's just so hokey, all that drummed-up theatri- theatricality. No one actually does that in real life, especially not my mother. (laughs) However it happened, though, it still had no bearing on her attempts at conversion. As the oldest child, it was always assumed I would follow in her footsteps, either as a dentist or some other medical professional. So when, in my senior year of high school, I told my parents I wanted to be a country music singer, they were shocked. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't know anything about music, my mother said. We're not paying for you to get a degree in music, and that's final. You're going to have to do something else. Mm -hmm. I ended up in the music business for two years, both studying in college and working as an assistant engineer in a studio on Music Row. It was a lot of fun, but eventually I decided I wanted to do something a little more stable. So when I told my parents I was becoming an English major and wanted to (laughs) pursue a career in travel writing, they were shocked.
2: (laughs) Travel
1: lighting. My mother said into the receiver. Well, at least it's better than music. But how do you even go into travel lighting? I didn't know, and I still don't really know. <laughs> But I wisely failed to mention them. This dream lasted all two months, until I got a job at J.Crew and discovered that almost everyone who worked there had graduated with a degree in English. Worse yet, they graduated with a degree in English from the college I was studying at. These were not good odds. Especially for a person like myself, who was on the prowl for a trophy wife. So when I called my parents to tell them I was changing my major to pre-med, they were shocked. Medicine, my mother said, but you're graduating in a year. You're going to need at least another two years to complete all those classes, and I don't know if your father's going to want to pay for that. Well, it turned out he did.
2: (laughs) Together, they were more
1: than willing to shut off the money if it meant I'd spend the rest of my life wearing scrubs and not a burlap poncho. (laughs) I liked the way it felt to tell people I was going into medicine. They seemed to look at me differently, as if I was wearing a BMW on my head. And carrying a house in Nantucket on my shoulder. You have what we want. And I did. Or at least, I thought I did. My imaginary empire came tumbling down in my fifth year of college, after a series of unfortunate events, which seemed to suggest I had lost all touch with the female world. I decided I needed to go somewhere to study women, so when I told my parents I was no longer pursuing a career in medicine and getting a job at Victoria's Secret, they weren't that shy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, said my mother, I can't exactly say I saw this coming, but it kind of makes sense you'd end up selling bras. (laughs) I think she was right. When you consider the careers I pursued, women were merely veiled at getting in girls' pants. It was only logical that, when I failed at them, I'd take a job selling what was in girls' pants. I was simply removing the middleman. Working at Victoria's Secret turned out to be one of the most entertaining and odd decisions of my life. I had a lot of fun helping customers, but what really set the job apart was the girls I worked with. It was like having three sisters around me at all times but 30 sisters that I could be attracted to and occasionally have relationships with (laughs) without having to worry about judgment or unsightly birth
2: defects.
1: (laughs) The only problem with girlfriends, every time I'd start dating someone, I'd hear, oh, we can't wait to meet her, when are you going to bring her in? And when I would, I would come to regret it for the rest of the relationship. (laughs) Never once did the girls like someone I was dating, which I think was more of a testament to who I was dating and not to their brutishness. They were sisters, after all. I don't know why it is, but I have a tendency to nickname everyone. Maybe it has something to do with the fact I always go by nicknames myself. Pildo in middle school, Pilsner in high school, and Chainsaw in college.
2: <laughs> but
1: whatever the reason, I came to nickname each of the girls in the store for one various reason or another. There was my manager, for example, who I came to call dinner table. Not because she was renowned for her cooking, but because she had the largest ass I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so you could serve Thanksgiving dinner on the thing, <laughs> as well as two to three pies if you situated everything correctly.
2: <laughs> we also called her JLo. <laughs>
1: there was, oh, come on. <laughs> There was Madame Tan Thong. Anyone who knows me knows there's a special place in my heart for Cisco's thong song. So, in the on New Year's Eve 2011, Madame led me into a bathroom, saying she wanted to show me something. With the door closed, she lifted up her dress and revealed her backside. What do you think of my thong, she asked. I thought I was looking at a thong the color of pale skin, until I realized that I was simply looking at pale skin that she wasn't in fact wearing underwear, and the thong was merely an outline for when she'd gone tanning earlier. She giggled. So what do you think? Then there was good old Trusty, who was one of the most unreliable people you could ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> Yet I liked her anyways, because her favorite movie was Jurassic Park, and she, and she had a backside that would make a nihilist believe in something. <laughs> there was the cougar who was, well, a cougar even though she vehemently opposed that title. Did I pronounce that word correctly? (laughs) Vehemently? I think so. The cougar is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. In her early 40s, she's made livings as a singing telegram, a magician's assistant, a stripper, a carpenter, a marketing executive, and a retail manager. She apparently had a thing with the and her motley crew at one point, and probably had something with Steven Tyler as well, but I can never get her to admit this. (laughs) And then there's Cottontail. The story of Cottontail goes back to an evening in August of 2010. I was in the back of the store, checking on some panties for a customer, when I heard the cougar call me from the manager's office. (laughs) Curious, I walked in and found her sitting there with Cottontail, both both looking as if they had something on their minds. Close the door, said the cougar, and I did so, rather excitedly. (laughs) These were good odds. (laughs) So Christopher, she said, before hesitating and turning to Cottontail. Okay, you ask him. I don't want to ask him. Cottontail turns towards me. Do you like a girl who bleaches her butthole? <laughs> what? <laughs> a girl who bleaches her what? Bleaches her butthole. She repeated. You know, whites her Cottontail. <laughs> She said this as if bleaching her bubble. There's an old high school classmate of ours whose real name I had forgotten. Her nickname would surely jog my, jog my memory. Bleaches her bubble, you know, whites her cottontail. Oh, yeah, whites her cottontail. What's she up to these days.
2: I've
1: got to be honest. I said, I've never heard of this. Why would a girl even do that? Well, if your favorite position is doggy, she said, you might want everything to look nice and clean down there. Why don't you just learn to wipe properly? <laughs> she shook her head. No, because no matter how thorough you are, poo follicles always build up over time and you can't get rid of them. Follicles? <laughs> <laughs> This was a malaparadism. She had meant to say particles, as follicles are small, spherical groups of cells containing a cavity. (laughs) We must associate hair growth with follicles, an image that, when combined with feces, has the ability to cause mass suicide. (laughs) But I still don't get why a girl would do this, I said. Why don't you just use some baby wipes or take a shower? Or if you're still having issues, just take some steel wool to it. She put her face in her hands. Realizing her logic wasn't getting her anywhere, she did what most people would do in this kind of situation. She appealed to a higher source. Well, porn stars bleach their buttholes all the time. Why do you think they look so good? I turned to the guru for confirmation. What do I look like to you, she said. An expert on porn stars? In fact, she did look like an expert on porn. So I nodded my head. I am not, she explained. What about me says I look like an expert on porn stars. Not wanting to stir the turd any further, and remembering that I was doing a check for a customer, I shrugged my shoulders and told Cottontail that, no, I do not make the requirement of my girlfriends to bleach their buttholes, but would certainly consider it in the future. And she seemed pleased with this. That night I went home to do what most single men do when football's not on, there's nothing to eat. I made some popcorn, opened my laptop, and put on some porn. <laughs> this was nothing special, just something I could get for free on the internet from YouPorn or PornTube or one of those Post-It-Yourself porn websites. Surprisingly, I found something good, and was just getting into it, when I noticed the girl had definitely not bleached her bubble. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I said, dropping the motion. <laughs> That thing is terrible. Oh my god. Oh I can't even look at it. (laughs) And with that I closed my laptop and pulled out my pants. trying to forget everything I'd just seen. I spent the rest of the evening this way, taking hot showers and imagining myself with Blake Lively. But none of it worked. None of it could ever overpower the image I now had in my head. As if the world I'd once known had given way to something completely foreign, Word bleach is no longer exclusive to clothes and teeth. Peter Cottontail is a porn star, and I find myself thinking with regularity. As God is my witness, I'll never be horny again. As God is my witness.
2: Thank you.
0: And when you thought you've heard it all from Chris, now you really have. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of That Time of the Month. Uh, For more information about the live show, please visit us at thattimeofthemonth.com. There are dashes in between each word, and um, we'd love to hear your comments on iTunes, or you can email us. At time of month at gmail.com. Thank you. They're funny, smart,
2: and so absurd. Happens every month. It's the neatest storytelling at its sweetest.